The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Let's go back to that song where it says, wherever you lead me, I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow you anywhere. Now, if you're a Christian, then you've made a commitment, really, in life to follow, follow God, to follow Jesus wherever he leads. And even in the Gospels, you hear Jesus saying, follow me all over the place. You hear him saying, if you follow me, you're never going to walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. And so as we start this new sermon series on Jonah, we know the story. If you've been a Christian for a long time, God asked Jonah to follow him. And what does Jonah do? He does exactly the opposite of what God asked him to do. So my prayer in this sermon series, at least uh, throughout, here's what I would hope that you would do as we start. That you would be able to identify with Jonah's strengths, but you would also identify with his weaknesses and with his sins. And then ultimately, through all of this, you're going to be pointed to Jesus, the one who is greater than all our faults, all our failures, the one who relentlessly pursues us with his love and his grace and his mercy. That's my prayer. So, Jonah, four simple chapters. If you open up to Jonah chapter 1, page 1,436, or you have your devices or the Bibles in front of you. Kind of a fun, easy way. I looked it, uh, up a, at a commentary. Uh, and if you're familiar with this, like a, it's an easy Sunday school lesson, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of a lesson where, you know what, listen to God or else. You know, that, that's kind of how we teach it in, in Sunday school. But I hope as we dive in, pun intended, as we dive in, we're going to dig deeper about the biblical principles that apply to even our life. And so, easy way to, to think about chapter 1, see Jonah perish. Chapter 2, see Jonah pray. Chapter 3, see Jonah preach. Chapter 4, see, we kind of forget about chapter 4, see Jonah pout, at least I do. My task is Jonah chapter 1 anyway, and then Pastor Joe will come up later. But Jonah's a minor prophet. It's after Obadiah. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Minor. Have you heard of major prophets and minor prophets? Major prophets, just, it's a thick book. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jonah, four little chapters, all these little ones. So Jonah is a minor prophet, and we're going to start with verse 1. I'm just going to break it up in a few sections. We'll go section by section. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. And since it's the start of Jonah, give a little background. Where are we talking about in terms of our world and and the time frame? It's the middle of the 8th century B.C. What does that mean? 750 years before Jesus. Jonah is serving. And if you even look a little deeper about Jonah's life, you'll find in 2 Kings chapter 14 that we find Jonah is serving as a prophet in the royal court of the king of Israel. His name was Jeroboam II. And so probably Jonah's life was kind of cush and lush and and kind of easy. He's serving in the king's court. So he's kind of telling the king, hey, king, you know, you're kind of being unfaithful. You know, God said this, and the people are kind of being unfaithful too, so you might want to change your ways. So that's kind of 
an easy job. I mean, you don't want to get the king mad, but you've got to tell him the truth because God's telling you. So that's where Jonah is. And so Jonah's call to follow God kind of came out of the blue in chapter 1. His mission to preach against the people of Nineveh about their wickedness. And when the people of Israel heard Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, they kind of get goosebumps. They're afraid. It's kind of like if we were to hear, you know what, there's a terrorist cell living in your neighborhood. How would that make you feel? Same thing with the people of Israel back in Jonah's day. And I want you to see, when, I, when I'm looking at some commentaries, there's this king by the name of Asher Nasserpal. Ashru Nasserpal II. Say that name ten times fast. He's an Assyrian king, but here's what he writes. Kind of gets a little gruesome, so, you know, stay with me. And he writes this. In the midst of the mighty mountains, I slaughtered them. With their blood, I dyed the mountain red like wool. With the rest of them, I darkened the gullies and precipices of the mountains. The heads of their warriors, I cut off. And I formed them into a pillar over against their city. Their young men and their maidens, I burned in the fire. I built a pillar over against the city gates, and I flayed all the chief men who had revolted, and I covered the pillar with their skins. Oh, wow. How bad is that? This king, Ashru, Nasrpal II, this is what I did, right? And then even the Bible corroborates it because in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7 and 20, in, in chapters 10, Assyria, not in this detail as this king did, But the Bible corroborates, and he says this about Assyria. They're a swarm of killer bees, a razor that shaves and slits, a rod that maims and mauls. That's what the Bible says, and it's very much the same as what this king is saying. So to to obey God and going to Nineveh sounds more like an elite force should go in there. You know, kind of like the Green Berets or the Navy SEALs. Not one prophet that was doing a cush job in a royal court. So what does that mean for us today? Today, Nineveh is any group of people that are walking in the darkness. Remember, Jesus said, follow me and you won't walk in darkness. You'll have the light of light. The darkness of unbelief. There are people in our communities that, that are walking around with no hope. They're in brokenness and despair. And they don't know of a God who saves them and loves them. Do you know anybody like that? I hope you do. They're everywhere. They're in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our sports teams, workplaces. They're everywhere. And God is calling Jonah to follow him just as he's calling us to follow him into the Ninevehs of our world. We, we might think of Nineveh as maybe, well, today's Nineveh would be Las Vegas or Sin City or, or the in, deep in the inner cities or even maybe a Muslim mosque full of extremists. But Nineveh really isn't any of that. It's just anywhere where people don't know who Jesus is. That's Nineveh. And unfortunately, Christians, we can get too comfortable in what's been termed, maybe you've heard this, holy huddle. We get into our holy huddles. You know, we huddle up and we're, we're kind of, we're inward focused. And whether we intentionally do that or we unintentionally do that, it doesn't matter. The point is we kind of isolate ourselves from those who don't know Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, Do you know someone who doesn't know Jesus? And if you don't, then how can you be a light to them as God is asking us to follow? How can God use you to save souls? God asked Jonah to follow him. And what was Jonah's response? Let's read, okay? 
Jonah chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So it was Jonah's response to the Lord's get up and go. He got up and went, all right. But he went in the other direction. He tries to flee from God and flee from God's instructions. And I like the way this, this map shows it. So just to give you a little background, he's from this, this city called Gath-Hepper. So he's a little bit uh, north of Joppa, which is a port city. And he goes down south, Nineveh, which is modern-day Iraq, kind of Mosul era, era, area. Tarshish is said to be, how many miles? Almost in Spain, right? And so just think about that. And I like the way that the Bible describes it in chapter 1. Jonah goes down to Joppa. Then he goes down below the deck. Spoiler alert. Then he goes down into the sea. And not only down into the sea, he goes down into the belly of a great fish. And so, when we disobey God, what happens? Just down, down, down. And oftentimes, aren't we a lot like Jonah? I mean, aren't we? Don't we want run away from what God, know, God wants us to do, what we know God would want us to do? Don't we think, you know, if I just do this here in secret, well, God's not going to see me. Sometimes we run away because we're actually truly afraid of what God's calling us to do. But sometimes we, we don't do what God wants us to do because it's going to take us out of our comfort zone. It's going to take us into some unknown territory. And isn't it true if you're a Christian that God calls you to a different standard than the rest of the world? Isn't that true? I mean, aren't we called to a different and higher standard? And if we stand up for Jesus in our workplace, I mean, that could be kind of devastating for us economically or financially. If we stand up for him in our schools, it could be hard socially, and it could be hard emotionally, yet God's calling us to follow him. And sometimes you get these nudgings from God to follow him, and we're kind of like, oh, God, I really don't want to take that call right now. I'm just going to let it go to voicemail, right? But like Jonah, we set up ourselves for a downward fall when we do that. And as I was studying some commentaries and reading more about Jonah, I found out this, that there's no other prophet of God in the Old Testament, no other prophet of God in the Old Testament that completely ignores the job job God gave him to do. 
I mean, Jonah just completely up and runs and ignores. And, you know, 200 years earlier, there's a guy by the name of David, you know, who wrote all these Psalms, Psalm 139. David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There's no place on earth that Jonah can run to. He must have not read that Psalm. I don't know. And then Moses, I mean, he, he tries to wiggle out, but at least he's talking to God in Exodus chapter 4. Oh, Lord, I'm slow of speech in tongue. And Moses said, all right, or God said, all right, Moses, I'm going to give you Aaron. Right? Gideon. He even says, okay, you know what? I'm going to put up an excuse to God if you're just going to give me a sign. He says, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor in, in, the, in the book of Judges. If there's, a dew, if there's dew only on the fleece and, all, on the gro- and the, all the ground is dry, then I know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. Jeremiah, he says this in, in the first chapter of his book. I do not know how to speak. Jeremiah is a priest of God, so he's an adult. But he says, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. And when I got the call from God, kind of internal call, I was sitting right where you were. And the, 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 the thought in my head was, huh, maybe I could be a pastor. And it terrified me. I'm like, how in the world am I going to sit up here, stand up here, and talk to all of you? I, 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 not, and yet God equips you doesn't he, to do what he calls you to do. But yet Jonah, we should, we should uh, change chapter one, not see Jonah perish, but see Jonah run. <laughs> That's all he does. He absolutely says nothing. He runs. Verse five tells us he just didn't want to get away, far away from God, but he also wants to sleep God away. Mm-mm, don't want to hear you, God. Go to sleep. And then finally, a strength of Jonah, verse nine. He confesses who the true God is, and then what happens? We're going to continue in verse 11. Verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. So here's my question for you. What do you think is motivating Jonah to behave in this way? In this way, meaning he's silent, he runs, He's almost in the state of depression. He goes to sleep and tries to sleep God away. Then he tries to throw himself overboard. The easy answer would be sin. But as we dig deeper and we dive in deeper to Jonah and understand, maybe he's running because, you know, he is really afraid of Assyria, but that's really not the main reason. As we dig further in this book, you're going to see shockingly what Jonah's running away from. And it's God's mercy. You see, Jonah knew that God was a compassionate God, that he is a forgiving God. He knew that, as we do, God is a missionary God. A missionary God means God is a sending God. He sends people. He sends his own son to save. And Jonah knew probably, you know, if God, if if I go preach to these Ninevites, well, God's spirit is going to be put on them, and they are going to repent, and I don't want those bad sinners to repent. You see, Jonah 
ultimately was prejudice. He's a prejudice against the Ninevites because he wanted God's justice to fall on them, not his mercy. He wanted God's justice. You know, you couldn't imagine, Jonah couldn't, how it was okay for those people, those bad people, to be saved. He didn't realize, well, his own sin, though it's different, it's not less evil in God's sight. So he's thinking of himself maybe as better than the people of Nineveh. And as I was thinking about this, do you know something? As Christians, we can be criticized, rightly so, I think, because it happens to all of us, that we could have a cold and cynical and critical spirit that can grow up in our hearts. And you know when it happens? It happens when we forget what a mess we were before God saved us. It happens when we forget that we were just our sin, that there's, there's no more goodness that's living in us that caused God to choose us than somebody else. That we're as deserving of God's wrath and eternal punishment than any immoral person. I mean, how often do you realize this? How often do you realize that we are just as much of a sinner in need of Jesus as even the most vilest criminal? Is that hard for you to hear? Sometimes it is for me that we're deserving, I'm a Christian deserving uh, eternal punishment from God just as much as somebody who doesn't know him. See, what we prefer to think is I'm a little bit better than an Adolf Hitler or Osama bin Laden or a child molester or something like that. But then the Bible brings the truth to us. And what's that truth? There's so many scriptures. First John 5, 17 says, all wrongdoing is what? All wrongdoing is sin. James says, well, if you're guilty of stumbling on one point of God's law, you're guilty of breaking it all. Romans 3.23, all have what? Sin and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 2.11, God says he shows no favoritism. So if you find yourself thinking like Jonah, looking down on those Ninevites, oh, those bad parents, how could they do that? Oh, that prostitute, that adulterer, that addict, that hypocrite, that murderer, those drunks. Think of the sin that you most hate in others and you found the Nineveh in your life. Think of the sin that you most hate in others and you found the Nineveh in your life. Here's why. Because we're all prone to pulling a Jonah. We're all prone to pulling Jonah because we think we deserve the Lord's mercy more than the others. That, that we tend to believe we don't totally have to rely on God's mercy, you know, because there's still part of good in me that, you know what, God's going God's gonna to look at me better than somebody else. Really, ultimately, that's why Jonah couldn't go to Nineveh. Why? Because it would mean that those people, those bad people, could be found by God. It would say that they are the ones that God loves to find and forgive and save. So what happens to Jonah, verse 15? They, they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, but here's what happens in verse 17. Look at it, verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. You see, when we run from the Lord, just as Jonah did, it only makes us go down, down. Jonah goes down in the innermost part of the ship. He goes down into an awful sleep. He goes down into the depths of the ocean. He goes down. 
into the belly of a great fish. And I want you to see something in verse 12, what Jonah says. It's up on the screen, looking at it in the Bible too. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. That's his comment. Pick me up, throw me into the sea. This is Jonah giving directions, isn't it, on how to sacrifice himself? I mean, isn't this really how much Jonah's fighting God's love and mercy? I mean, he's saying, I want you to lift me up so God can see that I'm sorry, right? But, but then you're going to throw me over because I'm going save to save you. And, and I'm going to, to really understand, I'm going to my, reconcile myself to God with my own efforts. Like he could make up for that. And what does the Lord do about it? What he always does. He gives love and mercy. It's amazing to see in Jonah chapter 1 how God's dishing out this love and mercy all over the place in Jonah's life. In fact, you could call it relentless. Relentless mercy and love toward Jonah. Jonah runs. God sends a storm. Right? He sends a storm. Then then he goes down to the, the, the lower deck. He sends the captain. Come up. Everybody else is praying to their God. Jonah, you're not praying. Right? And not only that, they start to cast lots. He's still not repenting. The lot falls on him. God won't leave him alone with his love and his mercy. And then what happens? He still tries to, to save himself. And the Lord won't let him die in his sin. Because he sends this great fish to miraculously rescue and save him. And you know what I like about this true story? Because I believe it is a true story that how can it be possible that God would send at just the right time this great fish to swallow up with enough oxygen for him to be in this and at the vicinity of where that ship is sinking. I mean, it's all planned. It's all timed. It's all divinely appointed. And I love that because Jesus even says to us, you got to believe in this prophet Jonah. He says in Luke chapter 11, verse 30, For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jonah, Jesus is using Jonah's story. Look at what verse 32 says. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For, spoiler alert, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater, greater than Jonah is here. God's amazing mercy and love for all of us who are Jonah's. Mercy that's prepared for us. The worst of sinners needs a Jonah-sized mercy. And that's the tender mercy of God. I love the story of Jonah because it points to Jonah's rebellious act. That rebellious act points to one in history that wasn't rebellious. Christ self-sacrifice for us. I want you to think about it this way. Think about it this way. All of humanity was sinking and is sinking even today, right? All of humanity is sinking in an ocean of self-centeredness, of hypocrisy, of immorality, of prejudice, whatever sin that we see. And what did God do? He planned. He prepared. He appointed this sign of Jonah, that's what Jesus calls, that Christ would come down for all of us who are Jonas. You see, when the storm of God's wrath was the fiercest and the worst, Jesus lifts himself up to God 
on the cross. And he says, I'm doing it for all of them. And he tosses himself into the sea, really, of God's wrath. And that was planned. And that was prepared. And that was appointed for you and for me. That he would be in this belly of the earth, swallowing us up out of the storm, giving of his mercy. Planned in such a way that he knew, in his foreknowledge, Judah's going to betray him. Planned that all the disciples would flee. Planned that Pilate would be there saying, yep, you're going to be crucified. I'm going to give in to your people's wants. People yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And that's all planned down to the very last detail. And it's planned for you down to every last storm that you've caused and that I've caused. Every sin, every way we try to not follow God, God knows and he comes after us with that love and that mercy. Who who does he do it for? For us Christians who should know better, who should try harder. Really those at least deserve it. And I couldn't be more thankful because when I'm honest with myself, I'm a Jonah. And if you're honest with yourself, so are you. We're Jonah's needing God's love and mercy. When I started this sermon, I, I asked that you would identify with Jonah's strengths and his weaknesses and sins, but then ultimately we're pointed to Jesus. I pray that you understood what Jesus is doing in your life and in my life. He said, Jonah, follow me. Jonah did just the opposite, and God still comes after him. He says to you, follow me, and he still comes after us. I want you to stand up, and as you do, we're going to have this kind of corporate time of confession. We're going to speak these words, and as you stand up, we're going to read from Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, you remember Paul's name before he became Paul? What was it? Saul. And you remember what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus? Jesus met him, right? And he understands what forgiveness and what Jesus did for his life. And then as he is one of the best missionaries ever for God, because God's a missionary, God, Paul's a missionary, we're all missionaries, he still struggles to follow God. And we're going to read this together slowly. I'll try to read it slowly for us. Ready? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. If that's true in your life, say amen. 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 But then Paul starts to write again. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Praise be to Jesus who forgives all your sins and runs after you with his relentless love and mercy. As you make that confession, your sins are forgiven. In the name of Jesus, all God's people say Amen. amen. Let's sing about that.